0: show we get to feature a young lady that is from new york city or thereabouts and she is a lecturer and a producer she's a writer and um she also does um uh, she's a cognitive cognitive behavioral therapist i wish i could talk i haven't talked very much today i'm sorry uh, in any event she's here but first i gotta talk to my friend eric how are you
1: hey good afternoon kevin i'm doing fine happy monday <clears throat> happy you monday to weekend
0: you. i did i did i had a very nice weekend by the way i gotta ask you um when you read literature what kind of literature are you drawn to is it is it shakespeare is it um horror what
1: what, what is your genre do you have one I'll be honest, I mostly read uh, rock and roll autobiographies or biographies. (laughs) (laughs) I don't dip that much into literature, but I I have enjoyed some of the classics over the years, of course. I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan, uh, for instance, so I've enjoyed all those uh, original stories. Um, And Oscar Wilde stuff is always good in my book um, and his book. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Exactly, but, we'll uh,
1: yeah. Uh, those are some of my faves. How about you?
0: I end up reading a lot of uh, positive, you know. I I really hesitate to even say this because the show is called Positive Talk Radio, and if you know, and I and I read a lot of positive motivational stuff and that kind of thing, rather than which I really am supposed to do since I have a show called you know Positive you know Talk Radio. So sure. That's what I do. I don't generally get into a lot of uh, uh, romance, or, or, or I'll tell you what, though. When I was younger, uh, Louis L'Amour was one of my favorite writers.
1: Oh, my grandpa as well. He, he loved Louis L'Amour stuff. All yeah. like cowboy fiction, basically
0: exactly cowboy fiction yeah. and and john wayne played several of his characters in the movies and and stuff like that so that, that was a lot of fun well we've got an author today and she's got an unusual genre that we're going to talk about a little bit and also all the things that she has done in her life and uh continues to do today so her name is mo machadi and she's she's a Joining us from New York City, I understand it's the weather is not good there. It's not
2: great. <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. That's why I was like, "Is my lighting okay?" Because it's pretty desolate outside. It's very post-apocalyptic today, What's but we it doing, doing? Okay. It's uh, we were in a severe thunderstorm. First, it was a watch, and then it was a warning, and then it was like, "Please don't leave your house." So, oh, so we're, I'm cozy inside. We're doing
1: good.
0: Well, that's good. Now, I've, I haven't been to New York. Is New York one of those places that, like, I've been in, like, Arkansas, which is Tornado Alley,
1: mm-hmm.
0: in Oklahoma. And they, when you're watching TV, in the bottom corner of the screen, they'll have the different oh, counties ticker. in your yep. area. Yep. You have that, too?
2: Yeah, yeah, we've got the ticker that goes by, like, these five counties should not leave their homes. <laughs> like, we have that. And I've been in Little Rock during hurricane season. Not nice.
0: <laughs> no, I don't know how people sleep.
2: <laughs> my, my watch. Went
0: off. Can I don't you know. Can, know how, please, <laughs> I don't know how people sleep in in those environments because you know it's dark outside. Yeah, it can be raining or hailing, and uh, and you look at the TV, and suddenly a county will go red, mm-hmm. and. I traveled a lot. And so I had no idea which county I was in. Yeah. And so it's it's really frightening when, when the your county goes red and then there's little voice comes in and says, eh, go to your basement. Now.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> this is not a drill. Please yeah. try to survive. <laughs> well, what I like about living in New York though, is that we're, we're not in a natural disaster state. Not until the wildfires started happening um we're not a natural disaster state so we don't see we'll get tornado watches but i knock on wood have never lived through a tornado um in the area that i'm in so no mudslides no earthquakes i think we're doing okay so far so it's,
0: it's kind of similar to what we get out here which is nothing yeah we, we get we a get little rain, rain right yeah some but like today it's it has it rained i think one day in the last three weeks oh, um well.
2: You're doing good we've had a pretty wet summer but other than that we're doing we're doing okay we're pretty sure it that. is
0: summertime here and and don't tell anybody though because <laughs> we want we want you guys to stay right where you're at uh, we got
1: enough okay <laughs> <laughs> you so got it
0: you got it so let's talk about you a bit and sure. uh and where you came from and where you started writing and uh and all of that because it's it's very interesting to me the thought process and the and the process by which you become a writer and you've got a book that's good that's coming out mm-hmm. and we want to talk about that and uh you've got more projects in the works and you also do screenwriting is screen writing and also producing and yes. all kinds of stuff so I, so I always
2: have something going on <laughs> which is good i mean i'm I I have a lot of projects that I just like having my hand in. I, I just do, I always like to have like irons on the fire because as a creative, you don't want to get bored doing what you were supposed to love, right? So you always want to have a place to pivot to. So I'm always doing at least four or five different things just to keep my brain busy.
0: When do you have time to sleep?
2: Um, What is the sleep you speak of? I'm not... <laughs> familiar with the term um I I do I sleep uh, occasionally um but mostly like I it's really like trying to fit your writing into the nooks and crannies of the day it's like you know I've got this hour and a half to write something let me get that down so it's it's kind of um by like a like a piecemeal kind of thing where you can only like give out a little bit of energy at a time to specific projects but it gets the job done
0: now I've talked to authors including a 15 year old young lady mm-hmm. who will sit down and write a thousand words an hour. I yeah. and I've talked to someone like that. I've also talked to somebody that it's like, really, it's like the agony and the ecstasy It's hard and they have to really struggle with it. What's your process like?
2: Oh, I wish I had a process. <laughs> I, you know, I do have a process, but um, I wish it was a lot more consistent than it is. My process is usually, if we're talking about gearing out and writing a short story collection, which is really where I, that's the kind of tack that I hang my hat on is short form. When I'm sketching that out, my process is a lot of my characters and my stories come fully formed. So it's kind of building the story around a particular scene that has popped into my head. Like, I want to tell this story. This is what I need to see on the page. And then what happens to them after that or what came before this? So I'll always outline, you know, my acts in the story, whether it's three act story or a five act story where you're getting who this character is and why they're here. And then what the rising action is like, what's happening to them? How do they get to this climax point, which is usually the the high action point in the middle. And then, the falling action, how do they get out of it? You know, what happens after this big climactic event, whether it be emotional or physical or actionable for them. And then, you know, what is the Dana mon? What is the closing arguments, so to speak for the the story? And I'll sketch that out for every story that I write. So every story has an act or a beat um, to it before I actually even begin writing. And sometimes if I get really uh, into it, (laughs) I will make, Uh, character bios for all of the characters that are in the book. And this is things that people don't see. Nobody's going to see that. Um, It's not even part of the end product of the book, but it definitely helps me sketch out the character's motivation. If I know what my character's likes and dislikes are, um, what motivates them? What are their fears? What are their dreams and goals? Um, Are they going to behave that way when somebody reacts towards them or are they going to say this knowing what their fears are? So that gives me a little bit more perspective on how I can realistically shape how somebody would react to something. Um, especially in horror when you want that visceral reaction, it's a lot like comedy. We're all going for either a laugh or a scare. So we want that reaction from someone So how can I best do that? So that I do do with every project. Um, Sitting down and writing the project collectively is where I wish I was more (laughs) consistent about. I'm just not. I mean, and I think that that is kind of the charm of the work, at least from from a writer's standpoint. Um, Because the end product, you don't know how I did it. You just know now that it's it's produced and it's there. But for myself, I I love being able to kind of sit and really be fully immersed and write for hours, and then also be really impressed with a particular paragraph in a story when I only had 15 minutes and that's really for me the beauty of writing is is finding that time you know writing a thousand words an hour is just not in my wheelhouse I'm sure I would one day I'm sure I have in the past but on a consistent level no and I really like that about my method
1: well,
0: see, it's interesting because your method translates very well into screenwriting I would think
2: yes Yes, 100%. <laughs> and I come from the screenwriting world first. So everything has to be really visually appealing. Everything has to be uh, then this, then this, then this, and then this happens. So it always has to feed and then therefore. So it everything has to kind of make sense. I will say I love when my stories are somewhat unresolved, where, you know, the, the reader can kind of glean what they want to from the ending. And I think that that kind of makes it almost like a, uh, a cheat code for like a choose your own adventure story at the end of the day. Right. You don't really know what's happened to these main character, the main characters or these main folk. Um, but the reader knows, like the reader can say, you know, this is how the story ended for me. And I think that's a really fun way to keep your reader engaged
0: that's that's pretty cool when you think about it how it is how involved cool. thank you very are. much
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well when you, when you when you think about it, now i gotta ask you because you build what i would call three-dimensional characters is that yeah. is that fair? Yeah. Uh, then you must be a people watcher
2: oh my god i love people watching <laughs> i really do i really do and i will take you back to if we're talking about um, just kind of where I came from and, and getting there. My sister, um, I have two sisters, we're all five years apart. My oldest sister um, and I can, we're just very opposite people but my middle sister has always been my buffer sister. So she gets along with my oldest sister and she gets along with me really well. But when we were growing up, um, it was, you growing up in the the early eighties was definitely especially in the United States, the mall era. We were always at the mall. There was so much to do at the mall. And my sister and I would people watch and it would be like my mother would go into like Barbara Moss or like Peebles or something like that or Dillard's, you know, and would and she didn't want us hanging around and like agonizing and being like, when are we leaving? So she would leave us on a bench outside. We would be, the, you know, she would grab the wallet, but we would be the purse holders. So we would have to like kind of sit out and wait. And my sister and I began just like making up, and this is like not new, everybody's probably done this, but my sister and I used to just make up like what people were saying or what people's backgrounds were, just complete strangers and giving them giving them these like, just incredible backstories and who they are. And this is a secret agent. And this is actually like a nun on the run. And this is like this, you know, this thing and the other thing. And I think that I really started to, Process that and utilize that within my my screenwriting work based on, you know how fun it is to create a character that is so relatable because you know you are sketching out at the end of the day a human being a functioning human being that you're going to see on the screen one day, um, but also to give them you know, pour bits of yourself into them, like how you would also react with things and what you would do if you were, like, what would you do, Kevin, if you were a nun on the run? Like, what what wouldn't you do? You know, like, what would you do to stay hidden? Like, what would you do to keep, you know, the the ruse up? And I think that that is such a fun piece to bring to my, my characters in a literary space, which is why I still do the character bios. So it's like coming from, just like people watching at the mall being eight to creating like four page character bios and <laughs> and taking up notebooks paper that people are never gonna see. um it makes a quality story and it's a lot of fun.
0: well, I gotta tell you, if I was a nun on the run, I would have to re-assess who I actually really am, if you know what I
2: mean. <laughs> I can't breathe. <laughs> 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 ah, too fun, Kevin. Too fun.
0: Because I would not be a very good nun for a bunch know, of reasons.
2: Not but... probably not. That's okay though. I mean, we all can't accept. We can't shine all the time in everything that we're doing. So. Exactly.
0: And by the way, I think that sitting on a on a bench watching people go by and inventing stories about them is a little yeah. rarer than you might think it is.
2: Really? Okay. Oh yeah.
0: I've, I've never heard that. I've never heard that as a thing before
2: wow really that's i feel like wow i feel like everybody's probably done that oh maybe get. <laughs> i guess not just a just a little kid being weird then i guess i'll I'll deal with it i'll take it that's fine
0: well, we'll no it's what, it, been in the
2: what it means world. is you
0: have a a, a tre- tremendous uh um imagination yeah and you're able I, to
2: i love just being outside of a world that's not mine like it's just And and because it's, I, you know, I was a latchkey kid, you know, in the, in the late seventies, early eighties, my mother was working two jobs and going to school at night. So, you know, being a little kid, you, you know, you come home from, you got a key to the house when you're seven or eight and you felt like a big adult because you could get into the house by yourself. And, you know, and it's, I, I feel like we really don't do that in this day and age anymore. We're very helicopter with our children and we're very, um, just, uh, microscopic, you know, just really just under, they're under the microscope all the time and having that sort of freedom to like come home and like make my own food and watch what I wanted until mom came home and, and, you know, play in my room and imagine things. And I I didn't realize it at the time that I was writing like fan fiction of movies I liked. And that kind of just became, you know, what I did. Like I, the story had to continue for me somehow because I loved the movie so much. So, and I didn't realize what I was writing until I became an adult. And I was like, oh, wait, people, people write. That's what people do. People write fan fiction, like as a job. <laughs> and I was like, where can I get that gig? Cause I've been doing this for my whole life, which I think is, is so great. And I think that speaks to how much fun people have with your art. And and have with uh you know something that became very embryonic in your head as a character or as a story and people just gravitated toward towards it and and latched onto it and needed to continue the story for themselves. I love fan fiction in any genre. I just think it's it's such a respectable way sometimes. Um, <laughs> to to I read some very questionable fan fiction, but I think as a whole, um, it's such a hat tip to two creatives that you loved their work that much. And hopefully, you know, I said, you know, the day I, I, that I feel like I can, re- I can retire is that one of my, my characters will be a, a Funko pop doll and I'll be satisfied with that. And I will <laughs> lather, rinse, repeat and, and hang up my pen. Um, I think that would be a really fun thing for me to do, but I don't know. What was the question? What? <laughs> Talking about
0: again? That was so long ago. I'm not sure.
2: It's been 84 years.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I'm I am I again I am struck by you because you've got tremendous energy. You've got oh, you've got what appears to be a great heart. And, and so, you know, it's like um I was talking to an associate and I was going, Yeah, today I get to interview a horror writer. And she Thank was like, Are oh, you kidding? This was positive talk radio. You can't do that. But you are a very positive person. Yeah. How exactly. in the world did you get into? And I know that uh, the Twilight Zone was a favorite show. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent.
0: Yeah, you know. it's
2: just, and I, it's got, it's from being, you know, home by myself. And when, when Cinemax and HBO and and cable came around, because, and I, I'm dating myself here, but I don't care. I'm 46 years old. I remember when MTV first came out. You know, when the the first day of MTV, I remember that. Um in the early i think it was 81 but as cable started to roll out nothing was off limits as to what time things were playing like we didn't have prime time then like we in, in 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 movies or cable schedule structure we didn't have that we didn't have the the horror things on or like the uh the uh, more adult things on until after kids went to bed. That wasn't like till later in the eighties where people probably started to say to themselves, we should probably put these things on a little bit later because there's kids. But I remember vividly coming home from school and the howling was on. And I love a werewolf. Like I love werewolf movies. I love the whole universal monsters in any way I can get them. And I remember watching that, like sitting down on my couch about 3 PM coming home from school and watching that. And I loved it. And I loved being scared. And I really kind of dissected as I got older, you know, getting into like, creative writing courses in school and in, you know, in junior school or middle school, and then in high school, and just kind of seeing like, what scares me? Like, why is this story so good? What elements did it have in it? And I didn't realize at that point, that I was basically teaching myself through horror movies, how to write a good story. And I, I see that now. And someone had mentioned that to me um, a couple months ago before my book had come out and they were, they um, had reviewed it and they were just like, you know, you must've, this is from a kid who sat there and watched scary movies. You can tell. And I was like, how can you tell? And they're just like, because your story structure is really strong for a scary movie. Like it's very visual it's got all the elements that I like in it. And I was like, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's where it all kind of came from, was, was watching those scary movies. And I think for me, um, when you are a kid who is having to spend a lot of time alone, whether it's, you know, your parents' job or um and my parents got divorced when I was very, very young, um, had a very tumultuous childhood up until that that divorce. And I think the escapism was really big for me in reading horror books really early and then cable coming in and syndication coming in and getting those horror stories and watching those horror shows like dark shadows and stuff like when i first started watching dark shadows i was like what is this i want all of it i need all of it it's so campy and it's just fun and it's dark and it's crazy and i think it was just because being alone kind of forced you to entertain yourself. And once I fixated on what was the most entertaining for me, like dark sci-fi and horror was, was where it's at. And I've never, I've never not liked it. And it's funny cause you're not the first person that was like, you don't look like a horror person. <laughs>
0: like, uh,
2: um, You'd be surprised how, how we have permeated your communities, folks. There's a, lo- uh, there's uh, a lot uh, of us.
0: <laughs> apparently there are because well, dark shadows in, in my day, Uh, There was a show called J.P. Patches, who was a clown in the city dump, and he was on (laughs) in the morning and the afternoon, and then right after J.P. was over, Dark Shadows would come on at like four o'clock in the afternoon, right when the kids were coming home, and so a lot of kids got used to uh, dark shadows and stuff and by the way speaking of werewolf movies one of my favorite werewolf move, werewolf movies of all times i can't even say it <laughs> is, did you ever see american werewolf in london
2: Ah, uh, yeah got a poster of it right over there <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love that movie because it was tongue in cheek. Yeah, it was. it, And uh, because one of the anyway, I recommend that movie highly. If you're if you of a certain age, uh, you yeah. should go watch that movie.
2: It's it's fun. It has a lot of levity to some serious subject matter. I and mean, it's pretty there's a lot going on in it and you know for, for a young man that's going through a whole heck of a lot before he even <laughs> gets to the moors um you know he's, you know trying to sketch out his life and and now he's got this little affliction happening um I, I think that's really relatable for a lot of teens um and i think anything horror that's you know has transformation in it um is really relatable you know, vampire movies, werewolf movies, where you're turning into something that you can't control. Nothing speaks to puberty more than that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ain't that the truth. uh,
2: So give it a look-see. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.
0: So let's talk about, uh, um, first of all, we're talking with Mo. And uh, she has written a couple of books. You had two that came out this year. did you? Know? I will
2: have two next year. I've been in two anthologies previous and then, oh yes, I just had the second. I'm in a second anthology uh, this year. So love the center came out on July 5th and I was um, very honored to be having a story in um, Encyclopocalypse of Legends and Lore, volume one through Encyclopocalypse Press that just came out on August 4th. So yeah, super fun. That's got a transformation story in it too. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been very, very interesting. Um, because when you write a story, I think, or you write a book because you work so hard to get this like baby, you're putting your baby out there for people to tell you how ugly your baby is and, uh, you know, whether or not they think your baby is cute or not. Um, and it's very, very interesting to finally have it out there and then have someone say that was really good because I think at least, at least for me personally, in my head, I was like, oh wait, people are going to read it. Oh wait, people are going to like it too. I I can have both. Um, that was a really strange feeling to get, getting the first like really positive review where some, I was like, this person gets exactly what I was trying to do, um, and I definitely took myself out for a glass of champagne that night because I was, like, deservedly so. Um, but I think that what's really nice about that is is putting the work there and getting a positive response to it. And that oh, yeah. really makes everything worth it. Like, obviously, nobody wants a bad response. <laughs> I don't mean to say it's all fluff, but it's not. Um, there's always going to be some kind of, you know, contrarian to your work. But... I think that what's been fun about this year is being in the anthologies really gave me such confidence to to be saying to myself, I could write an entire book of these. Sure. And I did. And I was like, I'm gonna write a whole book of these. And I did. And when I submitted it, I was like, what have I done? <laughs> and then, you know, it came back um, a really positive response about um and Bridget's Gate has been just great. Um, and to to know that I presented them with eight stories and they got halfway through the first one and offered me a contract. Um that's wow. really nice to hear. Um that's, that's also
0: that's also unusual, by the yeah,
2: way. Yeah, super complimentary. Um, and it's it's just been from there, from that point, and I know not every interaction is going to be <laughs> that good or that complimentary. Um, but it's very motivating. It's very validating to know that your work resonates with people. And um, you did get the reaction that you wanted out of of folks when you started pen to paper. And that's what I what I really want to continue doing. Obviously, screenwriting will always be a first love of mine. But um, I think the literary space has really embraced me not only as a community, but also just really enjoying doing this type of work. Um, And doing it well and just knowing that there's other worlds in my head that i can build out and be successful in so that's been that's been really really fun this year
1: oh
0: we're going to talk about that we need to take a little bit of a break but we're talking with Mo Mashadi, who's got a couple of books out and uh i'm going to ask her in the second half of the show are you more in the stephen king alfred hitchcock mode or are you more in the we, 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 slasher mom. <laughs> <laughs> I have to pick? <laughs> God, I
2: thought well, we were friends.
0: You can have it all. <laughs> yes, I, I, I also do. want to talk about your, your work as a cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapist and some of the things that you've seen in, in your life yeah, and sure. uh, stuff like that. So we're going to take a break. You're listening to Positive Talk Radio on KKNW, 1150 AM, and we'll be right back hey ptr loyal listener first thanks for being in my dream and second i have a new concept in business to share with you it's called socialpreneurship so what's that well it's the idea that any company designates all profits beyond expenses to be awarded to a local or international charity or project which is working to achieve good in the world km media is such a company We believe that it's important for us to give back whenever possible and to make great things happen. So I hope you'll join us in creating this new business model that will positively impact all of us. In the next few weeks, we'll lay out the plan and begin our fundraising efforts. So stay tuned for more details right here on Positive Talk Radio.
2: When you want to say more than words communicate, you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is a anaturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. A anaturaldesign.com at your fingertips today.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to Positive Talk Radio. Did you know that we're also a media production company? Well, surprise, we are. We can create all kinds of audio, video products to fill any need. Please visit kmmedia.pro backslash hour-store for a complete list of products and services. In addition, do you need a great voice to add to your own website or any other project? I know that we can add depth and quality to your work. I've been told more times than I can count by many professionals in the business that my voice adds to the quality of the presentation. So let me create something for you. Please contact me at, Kevin at KMmedia.pro and let's create something great. And welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. My name is Kevin McDonald. I get to be your host today and I hope everybody is doing well on this Monday morning. Monday morning. Oh boy. <laughs> Monday afternoon. And it's almost it's Monday night where um uh, Mo is. She is in New York. And so she's a ways we um, Mo Machadi is our guest and she is a writer. She's a screenwriter. She's a producer. She likes to talk to people. She's a speaker. She does all of that. Um, you know, Mo, I got to ask you, what's your favorite thing to do? Is it standing up in front of an audience? What is it?
2: Oh, wow. Uh. <laughs> um, you know, my favorite thing to do is. You know, I love writing. I love creating stories. My favorite thing to do is really lecturing. I really, really love speaking to people about horror cinema um, and kind of marrying that with mental health, which is my behavioral sciences, part of my background in academia. Um, And when I get to marry both, I mean, I think that's a a great, a great way to see my kind of eyes bug out and my (laughs) get really excited about what I'm talking about. Um, and really animated as if I'm not animated enough, but, um, that's really my, my big, my big, uh, pleasure is to, to lecture. I would love to do that for, for my life. Any college that's listening that would like to hire me to Babylon, um, and pay me a livable wage. That would be fantastic.
0: Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't
1: <laughs> be nice. I, I,
0: I gotta ask you, how do you marry the two? How, how, how do you bring horror into a lecture?
2: Well, I lecture on horror cinema, so I usually come at it from more um, less of a critical and more of an analytical lens. Um, My focus is really um, trauma in horror cinema. So when you watch a horror movie, obviously um, something traumatic is happening to the main characters or even like the side characters, or it's the aftermath or the prelude to what is going to be a traumatic event for this character. And I think Because we have all experienced some sort of trauma in our lives, whether it's we're grieving the loss of someone um, that was very close to us or we've had a a violent event or a a tragic accident or a near death experience or something along those lines or, you know, you know, God forbid um, a violation of some point. Um, We've all had an experience where something has been very visceral within us and we feel just a little bit broken and need to heal a little bit and I think that that's what's so interesting about talking about mental health and horror or even just trauma and horror is that once you've gone through that you can easily spot that in a film or that reaction to what you might have gone through in a film or it might be just a little bit different of an engagement from there but I think what's important to talk about trauma within horror cinema is that horror cinema really teaches us kind of how to behave um, it's really interesting to see when you've left a horror movie, those of you that go out and, and watch horror films, or if you've watched them at home, you're turning on all the lights afterwards, right? You've done it, <laughs> right? You get out of a movie uh, at the theater, you get into your car, you're checking that back seat, right? You're looking behind you, right? Like it teaches us how to more aware and be more high alert in in how to behave and be more responsive um, and have better emotional reactivity. There is a group in Austria um, called the Recreational Fear Lab that studies this. For That is is their whole crux of their study is how horror gives you reactivity, like what happens to your body when you're watching a horror movie and how helpful that is for you. And I think it's one of the only genres that really does that. I mean, you're not learning anything, you know, how to uh, escape your house or how to hide from a killer from, you know, watching, you know, Bridges of Madison County. (laughs) You're not, you're not learning any like uh, survival skills from, from watching like a dramedy or like a baseball movie or something like that. And why I like melding the two is because it gives us more permission to say um this happened to me and it was hurtful and i'm healing from it and it's okay but also giving horror more respect in this in the sect of saying we are showing and they may be grandiose scenarios at first but we're showing really human real human beings under pressure under the worst conditions and this is how the body reacts And when we were going through the pandemic, um, horror viewership spiked 60% because everybody felt whatever you're going through is much worse than what I'm going through right now. And it was healing to people. And I absolutely love that.
0: Have you ever been in a popcorn throwing movie? Yes. Um, The first (laughs) one that comes to mind for me was I'm a little older than you.
2: Just a touch.
0: Just a touch. And <laughs> we went and saw Jaws in the drive-in theater. Now, okay, a drive-in theater. I know what a is drive-in
2: like, is. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but trust me, there are people under forty that have no earthly idea. Oh. The drive-in theater. You used to go in your car, and you would drive into the theater. <laughs> Into this big place that had the screen, and and then you took this this speaker and you put it on your window, and then you could go get snacks and stuff, and then you sat in your car and you watched the movie. Yeah, I remember a a particular scene in Jaws where there's a sunken boat and this head comes out at of a hole in the boat, and you could hear. People in their cars throwing popcorn and screaming.
2: Thinking, ah, yep. And, as it should
0: and, be. <laughs> and and I'm sure Steven Spielberg was off someplace going, yes, yes, I got the reaction yeah, I was looking that's for. That's what they want.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's, I think, is a great thing. And it's, it's okay to be scared. It's good to get your heart rate up.
0: I, but, I please, love but please tell me that in your in your books the the woman doesn't always fall down does she
2: no i am i am at least in my work i i'm not a big fan of the ankle twist crawling slowly away from the killer um i've never been a fan of that in film either but i i mean it had its place and it, it was it was the damsel in distress piece that a lot of the early 80s slashers had and it was that, that buildup is like, you know, she's not going to make it, but let's watch how slowly she ain't going to make it. Um, and I think that that was a, that was a draw. That was a, 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 cool piece in, in cinema when we were starting to get into like Friday the 13th and in Michael Myers and in and, and later on into, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy Krueger. We were getting to see these people have to agonize about how slow their death was going to be. Um, and that is exciting for, for the viewer because we know as the viewer in those instances that one of, one of you ain't making it out. <laughs> but we're almost ahead of the story, right? We're ahead of the victim. We know what's going to happen. Um, so for us, it's an exciting piece. So I mean, I, I get it. It had its place. Um, and it and it's kind of there sometimes. You'll see it in in modern movies where it won't necessarily be a fall, but someone will go further into a dark room and you're just like, oh, you sweet summer child. What are you doing? Have you? Have you?
0: have you seen that commercial i can't remember who it's the one with
2: with. With the chainsaws let's hide behind the chainsaw (laughs) oh there's
0: a good idea
2: let's hide in the car that won't start (laughs) like yep yep are you crazy
0: oh man oh i Um, love
2: it but i mean it had it had its place but you will not find it in my work no
0: well well good and i'm glad because you are also working with people in trauma yes and you're and you're helping uh you know I've done a lot of these shows i've done do you know I've done two thousand shows two like th- in my career and two thousand interviews and um I've talked to people a lot, everybody has trauma mm-hmm. every it seems like there isn't anybody i can't I have never found anybody. That can say, yep, my life was perfect and I roses mm-hmm. and puppy dog tails and <laughs> and because everybody has a degree. Now, the degree is very widely, but sure. everybody has a degree of trauma.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it's really helpful when you as a cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapist can help people uh, work through their trauma so that they can mm-hmm. live a better life. Um and live life, life to their fullest, and I know that's in your heart, and that's what you do. And then you marry all of these things It's kind of cool. Yeah.
2: yeah, I I mean I try to, especially like my work is my my schooling is um, through cognitive behavioral therapy, um, and just from the behavioral science uh, sect is emotional reactivity. So that is my my piece where I my anchor and my concentration, and then further into that uh, specifically women uh, women and PTSD. Because for the longest time, especially when PTSD was kind of surfacing as um, something in the, the emotional and psych- psychological aspect of um, medicine, it was seen as what they called the soldier's disease. So it was seen in men that were coming back from um, World War II, um, Desert Storm, things of that nature, a Vietnam, Vietnam. And it was just seen as having them had that traumatic experience of war um, and, and the heinous acts that they needed to do in order to survive or or complete missions or what have you. And that was seen as, you know, just an absolute collapse of a sense of self um, in, in, in addition to like what their duty was. And it was really seen as that just it only happens to these people that do this. And what we were seeing is that um, women had been experiencing it as well, um, and I don't wanna say longer than, but had been ignored longer than in the medical field um, because women were getting um, institutionalized for hysteria, which we, we now know are, are some some shinings of PTSD from women um, having multiple miscarriages because due to, um, maybe religious obligations where it was upon the woman to build the family um and they their body just wasn't doing it physically they weren't able to and so they were there there have been women who have died from having multiple births and multiple births and miscarriages and and things of that nature and that that's a very, very real thing that's happened but my focus was on women's PTSD because i felt like they were very ignored for for very long to um to the healing process. They weren't really given the outlet to find psychologists, the crazy lady, the hysterical woman had always been a trope, whether it be literature or film or just, you know, women in general. I mean, hysterectomies are for women and hysterectomy, the hyster um, is part of hysterical. And that's, there's a reason why that is a thing. Um, that's kind of how they felt about women back then when they were naming things. Um, but it was um it for me it was like just kind of shining a light on making sure that everybody had the appropriate um accessibility to to mental health so i really wanted to do my due diligence is to give them uh, what they needed people in my sector or my area give them that respect and that honor but what i really started to see in in that is that i started to come from a very gendered space about it and i started to get very fen- very uh, um offended by people not immediately recognizing women also having PTSD. Um, and then I started my further work in behavioral science and really just concentrating on trauma as a whole. And and as you said, uh, just a few moments ago, there's not a human being in this this world who hasn't experienced some degree of trauma. So yes, my concentration is definitely still on women in, in trauma. Um, and ptsd but also just as a spherical it's, it's definitely a, a human experience and that has to be acknowledged
0: it was as little as 40 or 50 years ago when um they considered a soldier that to be quote unquote shell-shocked
1: mm-hmm. or
0: something like that and they didn't even have a name nope. to put on it all the way post uh war or, uh, vietnam mm-hmm. and a lot of guys came back um half or fifty six thousand people died there, but over a uh, half million people served over there, and all of them saw horrific things mm-hmm. and they came back and it took them years and in some case never and which yeah. is also why the suicide rate in amongst 100%. the military or former military is very high
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's 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 so I'm applaud your work because we're just now learning that PTSD can be caused by a a a dysfunctional sexual relationship it can be caused by by physical abuse and mental abuse there's all kinds of and and to some degree or another i think that we all have we can all point to an instance in our life when we felt like that we we were having that yeah we all have
2: an origin piece yeah 100 percent
0: and the sad thing is that there are women walking around I i had interviewed one just the other day that um she had a horrible experience 20 years ago and she buried it in her mind mm-hmm. because she couldn't bear to live with it mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis but it came back to come um, came back to haunt her mm-hmm. and she it took her a long time with a lot of work from very loving people to be able to get her to get through it to understand what it was that she went through and then to be able to, to get past it. Yeah. So this is, this is a big deal. This is a big thing that's going. Yeah.
2: It's a, it's a, it's a very strange piece because you also have something called CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which is from ongoing incidents, usually post-traumatic stress disorders from one origin incident, whether it be a robbery, um, a violation of self um, abuse, Something that was very chaotic or one singular event where you have something from like CPTSD, which is continuous events. You are living within this trauma constantly and it's very linear. You need to survive through it. And that might be somebody who is, you know, living with an abusive partner or a child living with an abusive parent. That's they, they have to figure out how to survive and emotionally react within this situation that is not going away. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of adults that are experiencing that, whether it be, you know, their partner, their, their family, that they're supposed to depend on. Sometimes it happens in, in the workplace when we have, you know, in America, we have this, this very um, I think it's a very generational thing where we just don't have it anymore, where you were at a job for 30, 40 years and you got the pension and you left um, we still have that mindset where it's like we have to stay in order to survive. And here in the states, our our retirement age keeps going up and up and up and up and up and up. And you know, we're going to be eighty by the time we can collect on anything. Um, it's soon
0: it's to be seventy years old. Yeah. And it's, in, it's in my crazy. world, in seventy years old is you is way too late. Way too late to work because uh, your your body between sixty. Uh, <laughs> this is something I know something about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Because between 50 and 60, you start losing muscle mass. And, you, yep. and between 60 and 70, you start to decline. Between 70 and 80, the decline is more pronounced. Mm-hmm. And if you can make it to 80 and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's really is, you know, and I wanted to bring this up because it, there are people running around who are alive today that they didn't do this. My, my sister was a bank teller. Mm-hmm. In, in a bank guy walks in with a gun he he um he um pulls a robbery off doesn't get outside the door the police come in shoot him dead in the bank my my relative witnessed the entire thing nobody came to her and said why don't you take the day off why didn't she finished working the day of that and no, nobody nobody was safe. there saying we okay. need to get you some help and some counseling so that you can get through this. So mm-hmm. she ended up wearing it, and but it affected her forever.
2: Yeah, and I—that's and how it used to be. Yeah, I mean, I feel like as a as a child, and again, dating myself here, in third grade, we all sat around um in our classrooms in 1986 and watched the Challenger take off.
0: Oh my!
2: And a bunch of kids in school saw the challenger explode in real time and i don't remember there ever being any type of counseling any type of you know do kids have any questions this was very tragic all it did was play on the news over and over and over for weeks and i don't remember there being anything you know for us to even talk about at school no type of like you know help of any kind and i think that for our parents that might have been for them having to talk to your kids about death for the first time and 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 that's like (laughs) nobody taught us how to do any of this and i think that hopefully we are on a path of kind of understanding um that you know we're not in the trauma Olympics. Just because my trauma is this and your trauma is that doesn't mean I'm beating you in the trauma Olympics. Um, everybody is very singular in how they experience it and what they've experienced it. And I think that there is right now. I think there's two buckets. There's a lot of more. There's a lot more respect for how complex um, mental and emotional reactivity is and how we're handling it. Obviously, we're seeing um, unfortunately new and different cognitive declines. Um, and different degrees. We're seeing there being uh, more um, research done with like dementia and then like pre-dementia and then like different kinds of decline um, triggered within uh, PTSD. And we're seeing that, but we're also kind of seeing um, the disrespect a little bit in it because, you know, if you get on like social media, things like, um, you know, Instagram, TikTok, things like that, where they're showing like everybody has this, or you if you do this, you might have this type of mental disorder. or if you do these five things, that's like you can walk and chew gum at the same time, then you should probably go see your doctor. And it's you know, it's it's being, you know, uh, that type of advice is being like kind of handed out like candy, and it's it's not getting the attention that it really deserves for it. So I think if we're just more aware and we're just a little bit more um just cognizant of how we feel as an individual and, in getting the help that we need, and having that help be accessible to all neighborhoods, um, affluent and non-affluent neighborhoods, marginalized neighborhoods, um, I think that if we open up to being aware that not everybody looks the same as a, a client of, you know, a psychologist, we're seeing children, we're seeing adults. We need, you know, uh, therapy for marginalized folks that you know, are not having the same experiences, LGBTQIA+, um, we're not seeing the um, accessibility for for those folks either. And we need to open up and be aware of that everyone is going to have a different experience because there's so many walks of life. Um, and the more accessibility that we give that and all of these groups that are kind of yearning for it and not seeing it, we're going to have a more healthier mental health uh, world to live in and hopefully a little bit more understanding for what each other is going through.
0: A little understanding would go a long way, but we Just also need to,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it would go a long way, but we also need to, you're right. To have enough men... We're finding out that mental health is, I think is going to be one of the major, major issues going forward because we're discovering the hidden nuances of how difficult it can be for, and then you start talking about postpartum depression. You Mm -hmm. start talking about bipolar and all of these things that are, they're coming and, and people on the spectrum and stuff. And we all need uh, to understand that we are all one and that we need to help each other. And I really wish that we, as a people would say enough, We want to make sure every kid in this country gets fed. We want to make sure everybody has a shot and a good education. We want to make sure that all these things are happening Mm -hmm. rather than just say, well, you know, this is a capitalist country. And if you can't make it on your own, you ain't going to be, you know?
2: There's a lot of, in my days we didn't. And it's like, well, (laughs) (laughs) what rock have you been hiding under for the last 40 years? Like it's not your day anymore. Like, you know, it's for me, it was like, in my day, we were just the talkative kid in class. It's like, yeah, I used to get that on every report card. Monique talks too much in class. You know what? Monique has adult ADHD. That's what was happening to her. She didn't get the focus that she needed as a child about, you know, attention deficit and hyperactivity. And here here we are, you know, years later, but hopefully. And that
0: wasn't even when I was in grade school, that wasn't even a thing. They had no idea nope, that that, nope. that didn't even come up. By the way, we've we've been talking with Mo your last name. Machadi. <laughs> I knew that. Not Machete. That.
2: Machete, machete. machete.
0: And, and she's got two books that have come out this summer. And uh the Encyclop I yeah, can't I'll even say for that. You. Hour, <laughs> too long for me.
2: So the newest one that has just come out on August 4th is called The encyclopocalypse of Legends and Lore Volume One from encyclopocalypse Publications. And then on July 5th my first novella my short story collection love the sinner eight disquieting stories bound by sin um, was released through bridget's gate press
0: and i want to thank you for being here you are a delightful human being do you know Oh,
2: so are you okay i have so much fun when we chat i i love this this has been great
0: (laughs) and we've got like about uh, 35 40 seconds so no pressure but tell our audience anything you'd like them to know
2: Sure. So if you uh, are so inclined, you can also find me on uh, social media. I'm usually 95% of my time is spent on Twitter. You can find me at momashadi there. You can find me at momashadi.com. My horror collective, Nick's Horror Collective, you can find information about us on Nick's NYX horror.com and about our 13 minutes of horror challenge you can find on 13 minutesofhorror.com. We'll be putting new information about our newest film challenge coming in 2024. Hopefully streaming on Shutter again as well. Um there in the next coming months.
0: And by the way, if you missed any of that, you can <laughs> this episode will is will be on well it is now on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. Hey. Which, actually, Twitter's not even Twitter anymore. Did you know
2: that? It's X. or uh, Everybody's it's still F calling it Twitter. So you just X. go, to your heart's delight, like, Kevin, you just keep calling it Twitter. It's fine.
0: <laughs> X.com. No think one that's is a, calling it X. I think that's a terrible name.
2: It is. For, you can't even trademark it. It's just.
0: <laughs> no. So, anyway, Mo Bashadi has been our guest, and I want to thank you so much for being here. It's such a pleasure to have you. and Likewise, look Kevin. Look forward to having you back. Yeah, we will do
2: this again. Thanks so much for having
0: me. And by the way, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. We'll see you.